You're listening to the Wonder Women of Aviation, a podcast that helps preserve the history of women in aviation and highlights women involved in aviation. Each episode, we meet with women, both in and out of the cockpit, to talk about their passions, experiences, the history of aviation, and how they make an impact. So strap in and hang on tight as we soar through the sky. Welcome to the Wonder Wonder Woman of Aviation. Aviation. Today we speak with a young woman who dreams big. She is an aspiring astronaut who plans to be, or who's determined to be the first to step foot on Mars. I'm speaking with, um, I know you're just astronaut Abby, so I'm going to go with astronaut Abby. Um, Abby, thank you for taking the time to join us on the Wonder Woman of Aviation. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to get to come out here and, and talk about one of my favorite topics, which is women in aviation. And you definitely are a Wonder Woman of Aviation. And I want to talk a little bit more about um, who you are, what your story is, how you got involved. So um, for those of you that are in social media, um, you'll definitely find her in social because that's how I found her. She's a social media guru, which I admire. (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about like who Abby is. I know you started young, like most of us in aviation, we kind of get bit by the bug. I don't know if there's a term for space. (laughs) You get bit by bit by the space bug. That sounds like something that maybe we should look into. Oh, that should be something. Health planetary protection or something that we've got space bugs. <laughs> no, it's it's a very similar thing from from my own experience um, as well as many people in the space industry who I've talked to. I feel like it's uh, similar to aviation in that sense that a lot of people get either bitten by the bug young or once they do it's like such a quick progression into really falling in love with space and space exploration because like aviation it really has so much capacity to excite and inspire um and so i think that's that's really incredible but for me i first um i've I've been passionate about space my entire life Um, One of my earliest memories that I can remember is actually from when I was about three or four, maybe five years old, and I was standing outside one night just looking up at the night sky, and I was just filled with such a sense of awe and wonder, and I had all of these questions going through my my head, and at the time they seemed like really big questions, but I was five, so they probably weren't that uh, ground shaking, <laughs> but at the time they just—it felt like there was so much to think about with with space, and that's kind of that's when I knew that I wanted to be a part of finding the answers to those questions and really exploring the unknown in space. And I've been working uh, working steadily towards that goal ever since for about two decades now. Not many of us know at a young age what we want to be. I think I started out wanting to be a teacher, then a nurse, and then I ended up in aviation. <laughs> so it's just like the fact that yeah. you is pretty, um, pretty inspiring. Um, I'm sure you. <laughs> your mom crazy, like, you know, hey, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be an astronaut. So how did your mom and family or take that? Yeah, so I was raised by a single mom who was a high school teacher, and she was raising me and my older sister. And she um, she reacted pretty much how how you're uh, expecting that she would have, which was that for a long, long time, for the first like 
six or seven years that I was saying that I wanted to be an astronaut, she thought that it was just a phase that I would grow out of, or that it was something that I was saying, because that's what kids say. They say, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be a princess, or I want to be a, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And so she definitely thought I would grow out of it. And after many, many years of not, <laughs> not growing out of it and remaining very serious about this goal. Um, she actually sat down with me when I was about 11 years old and she, uh, she laid out all of the, the harsh realities of what it would really take to become an astronaut. And we talked about the number of um, astronauts who had ever gone to space and you know the, the likelihood of being selected, how unlikely it was how 18,000 people had applied to the astronaut program um, in the previous selection, the year that we had this conversation and only eight of them were selected. And so we, we really discussed all of these numbers and essentially she did what she could to try and um, dissuade me from following that dream because she didn't want me to end up in a situation where I didn't know what I was getting myself into or where I wasn't you know, well set up to achieve. And so, um, after that, I wasn't dissuaded. I actually left that conversation and I was really passionate about not how difficult things were, but about how many opportunities there would be to, to overcome. Um, and so I went and I did some research and I came back to my mom the next day and I had put together, <laughs> so cute, I was like 11 years old, 10 or 11, I'd put together these two sheets, I'd printed them out that were plans of, one was if I chose to go into the military, I could go the military route to become an astronaut, and the other was I could um, go the uh, citizen scientist route and um, yeah, when I showed her those two and they had various like steps laid out of like, what are the different things I would need to accomplish to, to go down each of those paths and all that. When I showed her those, she really uh, hopped on board and has been my biggest supporter ever since then and has really been, you know, the person in my corner cheering nonstop for the last 10 years. Wow. And you're yeah, really lucky to have family that supports me like that. Yeah, you definitely need that support. Um, you know, I was telling you earlier, um, off camera um and <laughs> you know is an aerobatic air show pilot and when I first met him I was like what the heck is this like <laughs> what what you purposely are diving to the ground so I mean I think we all need that little push that support from our loved ones to kind of you know find our passions and find out who we are and it sounds like you definitely found your way um so you started when you were four, dreaming about becoming an astronaut 11 years old you developed a plan um but you also work for NASA right yeah, so I worked on a NASA-funded project at the Space Life Sciences Labs, which is down um, in Florida, and I was working as a research scientist in an astrobiology lab where we did Mars-focused astrobiology, so essentially looking at a type of organism, that a type of bacteria that exists here on Earth in very extreme conditions, and we were subjecting it to Martian surface conditions to kind of create like parameters of where we can expect life to be able to survive, both to direct the search for life within our solar system and to um, participate in planetary protection, which is basically the idea that when we go to Mars, we don't wanna accidentally bring anything with us that could get a foothold and, you know, um, take take root on the planet. And so we have to we have to know what earth organisms are able to survive there and which of them aren't in order to then create those you know, stringency levels of how clean spacecraft and, and landers and such need to be. So that was a really, that was a really fun um, project. Uh, I just recently, most recently was working actually 
Um, so that was a couple of years ago. My most recent work is in immunology. I was working at Harvard Medical School as a research scientist in a lab um, working on immunology, which is a very timely subject to be in right now. Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely a lot of uh, schooling, a lot of science behind wanting to become an astronaut, right? There's just a lot. Absolutely. It's the most, it's the most important part of becoming an astronaut. And, and it's the main piece of advice that I give to any um, astronaut hopeful out there who I, who I get to talk to is that you have to focus on your education first and foremost, like that is the most important step towards becoming an astronaut. Everything else is, um, is helpful and good, but education is definitely where it all starts. Right. And you do a really great job. I was looking at your social, like you explain a lot of those questions, like how to. So for those that want to know a little bit more about becoming an astronaut, um, you have a YouTube channel, Ask Abby. And there's like a lot of questions that even I didn't know. I'm like, holy cow, Mars has a blue sunset. <laughs> I was just like, that's crazy. Um, so that leads into my question. Why Mars? Like why? What is the obsession with wanting to go to Mars? Yeah, it's a great question and it's a dangerous one because I could keep you here all night talking about <laughs> whenever I get into this question, I'm like, it's one of my favorites. So I have to always um, caution myself more than anything else to not talk for an hour. But so the <laughs> the basic idea behind it is that um, we, we get a lot of benefits from space exploration. There are a lot of ways that it's not that we're just going to space to have fun or whatever, like the, the reasons behind going to space are, are many. Some of the big ones are technological development that the challenges and rigors of working and living in space um, force us to innovate and to design in different ways than we would here on earth. And we're then able to utilize those technologies and techniques that are developed for space here on earth to, to handle some of the really big um, issues that we face, even as simple as, uh, for example, the insulation that's used in your houses was actually developed because of space exploration. And now it allows us to keep people warm and to keep them cool and to minimize energy costs and energy usage while we're doing that. So that's just like one small example of like every single day in your life, you utilize lots of different products that you probably don't realize were are directly traceable to space exploration. But to get to the root of the question here of like, why Mars? Why not just continue to hang out in Earth orbit on the International Space Station like we've been doing? And the answer behind it is that all of these benefits that we get from space, whether it's uh, technological development or economic stimulus or inspiring um, the public, any of these things, we only get them when we're really pushing or we, we receive them to the highest level when we push our limits of what we're capable of doing. The whole, the whole reason behind those things is, um, is because we are forcing ourselves into environments that we're really not meant to be and then we're figuring out how to manage. And so it's not enough in my opinion to just stay in a comfortable spot in space exploration. We have to constantly be asking what is the next, what's the next challenge to take on? What's the next hill to climb in order to maximize our return? Um, and in my opinion, there is no better next hill than Mars. Uh, it really has a lot of 
capacity to, to, like I said, push those boundaries and help us receive greater returns, but it also has the ability to force us to think about space exploration in a way that we've never had to think about it before, which is in an Earth independent way. So, for example, when you're going to the International Space Station or back when we went to the moon or hopefully in the next couple of years when we have the return to the moon, um, you're never that far away from Earth, which is really great because if you need help, if you have an emergency and you need help, yeah, you, you're close to close to home. And obviously we can all imagine like, oh, well, maybe you need a resupply mission or something physical sent. But the really big part that a lot of us don't think about that's different actually is that you're close to all of the collective knowledge of humanity and you're able to access that at a, a moment's notice. Let's say there's a medical emergency that happens on the moon that you're not trained for. You can just ring up NASA and have them connect you to a, a world-class um, doctor in, in moments. And so the reason to tie that back in of why Mars travel and, and why putting humans on Mars is so important to us is because when you're on Mars, because of the great distances between Earth and Mars, there is a time delay in how fast you can send communications. It, it's roughly 20 minutes um, to get a communication one way or another. And that really limits what you're able to do. It means that astronauts in the future who are on the surface of Mars will have to be able to handle any situation that happens without relying on the immediate intelligence and knowledge of the rest of humanity. And so it forces us to then start to think, well, if we're operating in this more Earth independent way within our solar system, if Mars is the testing ground to help us figure out how to do that, how to be more independent, how to be more capable and, and sustainable in space, well, then what else, what else does that open the door to? That opens the door to the rest of our solar system and eventually even beyond. Um, and it sounds a little crazy to say that now because that's that's pretty far out in the future for our uh, our current capability. But that is the long term goal of going to Mars is that it will help to kind of be this launching pad or platform to allow us then to explore elsewhere with, within the universe as well. Wow, I, I have no doubt that we'll definitely explore not in this lifetime, but um, I know eventually we'll get there. Um, yeah. Speaking of getting there, I heard it takes three years to get to Mars. <laughs> so with um, so the reason that three years gets bandied about a lot uh, in terms of talking about Mars missions is because it takes between six to eight months to travel from Earth to Mars. And then once you start to add up like the, the amount of time to get there, the return trip, you have to spend a certain amount of time on the surface of the planet while you're kind of waiting for Earth and Mars to be in that optimal orbit um, in relation to one another again, in order to make the trip uh, as short as possible. Right. Um, so altogether, the current estimate for a human Mars mission is that it would take between two and a half to three years to execute. I can't even imagine being two years in transit. I, I'm, I kind of beside myself with like a four hour airplane ride. <laughs> yeah, well, the good news is there's no TSA. You don't have to go through right. any <laughs> security. Hey, you've got, you got the call you're, they asked you to go to Mars. What would you take? What are your go-to items to go to Mars? You first. What are my go-to items? Yeah. Um, so I think that as far as uh, when, when you think about like what you would take to space with you, you have to think in the first case that, or in the, the first place that um, all of your needs are already met by, by the items that are sent as part of like the crew planning and everything. So your clothing, your food, all of those basic needs that you have as a person not even going to worry about those for personal allotment. Instead, I'm going to focus on like 
fun items. <laughs> I would definitely take um, pictures of my family and loved ones. Um, I would love to leave a picture of my family behind on the surface of Mars. Uh, I think that that would be right, like such a cool thing to get to tell grandchildren in the future, or whatever, like, oh, you're on um, your mom and dad are on the surface of Mars or whatever. Um, I would also definitely try and bring like a paint, a set of paints or something like that with me because I'm not a very good artist, but I do really enjoy art. And I think that when I think in terms also of like, how are we going to combat the issues that astronauts will face, the psychological issues of being alone for so long and being so removed from earth. Like you said earlier, like yeah. we already, I mean, I know I already, when I think about traveling from, you know, the East coast to the West coast, I'm like, ah, oh, it's such a long day of travel. That's awful. Well, then you have to think, well, what if it's six to eight months that you're stuck with the same small group of people completely removed from humanity, it really becomes a grueling, uh, or could be a grueling experience and, and would be very difficult on anyone. And so I always try and think of like, well, what are the ways that we can then keep astronauts connected back to what makes us human? And one of those for me has always been art. And uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to paint some of the landscapes on Mars. Oh, that would be cool. Mars yeah, art. That'd be fun. <laughs> does do that. I was, uh, I found that on my LinkedIn. There's a female that actually does uh, yeah, she's a huge inspiration to me. I think you're probably thinking of, um, or wait, no, we might be thinking of different people. So one one person who really inspired me in wanting to, you know, paint Mars or paint space is astronaut Nicole Stott. Okay. Uh, she's a retired astronaut, and you should look into her because she's really cool. Yeah. Um, and she she was one of the first people to bring paints to space and to to paint in space when she was um, a crew member of the International Space Station. That is so cool. She's, she's yeah. a very cool lady. It's probably her, but I forgot along <laughs> this journey. I'm like, oh, um, speaking of crew. So you said, you know, it's important. You're going to be sticking with the same crew. So let's just hypothetically, if you could pick the ideal crew, um, living or dead, past or present, who would you pick? Ooh, that is a hard question. Um, I think so. It's, it's kind of a, a, it might come across as a boring answer to say that like, I wouldn't bother bringing anyone back from the dead. I would focus okay. on, <laughs> I would focus on um, one of the things that's really struck me during my journey as I strive to become an astronaut someday in the future. I've had the, the fortune to be very public about that journey. I get to talk a lot about it on social media and at conferences and classrooms, all kinds of stuff and, and share that. And one of the things that's really struck me is the number of other young people who have the same dream and the same goal and are so excited and inspired by space exploration. And so if yeah. I was putting together like a, like a dream team or whatever, an ideal crew, I would, I would definitely um, want to leave those spots open for uh, some of these young people that I've met who just really blow me away with how excited they are. Oh, that would be it. See, there's people probably still in school, kids still in school that would be able to join you on that journey. That would be so absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> and that's one of the fun things. That's one of the things that like as an advocate for, for science and STEM and space, I, I do a lot of like speaking in classrooms and visiting with schools and, and Girl Scout troops. And um, that's one of my favorite things to get to tell kids is that you never know, like I we might be crewmates someday, like it's completely possible that my future crew for Mars are still in school right now and are just learning about these kinds of things. And that's just like incredible to think about like how much potential there is. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> more about um, your nonprofit. Cause you said you, you're a big advocate. You like to do you know, speaking engagements. So you do have a nonprofit um, that educates, you know, students or children or just young adults, even myself on space. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the Mars generation? Yeah, so I founded the Mars Generation. I co-founded it about six years ago now, and we're a 501c3 nonprofit that, like you said, has, um, we have two, two missions or two main goals. One of them is to excite and expose the public to space exploration. So just to make sure that people know what's going on and how exciting it is. Yeah. And then our second goal is to provide um, tangible, real uh, resources and opportunities for young people who are potentially financially disadvantaged or facing other obstacles to have hands-on experiences in, um, in STEM. And so we provide a lot of scholarships. Um, we also have a student leadership community. We have a, an awards program every year where we highlight young people who are really making differences and changes in their communities. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's a really great, uh, it's great to be able to give back in so many ways, which was the entire idea behind the Mars generation was that I was so fortunate as a young person to have so many people in my life who supported my dreams, even though they were um, a little uh, out of this world, a little head in the clouds. <laughs> um, but so then I had so much good fortune in that. Um, and it was just, it's really great to have the Mars generation now and be able to try and like, create more of that goodwill in the, in the world. Yeah. And I think it's great that a young woman such as yourself is advocating for, you know, not only just aviation in general, cause it is a part of aviation, which, and, you know, taking it back to the wonder women of aviation, but, um, I think, I feel like we've come a long way. Um, I know there was a quote that you said, or I was watching some of your interviews and you mentioned that women in the 60s and 70s were not accepted. Um, at, you know, 60s and 70s, 50s, we weren't accepted. And now things have shifted, this change. You know, there's a female like yourself who has this great following, who's got her nonprofit, who wrote a book. Do you feel like that that's changed, that, you know, more women are involved in space? Absolutely. I, I do think that it has changed um, to some extent. It's, it's definitely changed compared to the early days of the space program when there were a lot of women who were involved, but they were in um, uh, not such public facing roles. They sadly couldn't become astronauts. They, they often, you know, they didn't have the ability to progress upwards and to um, continue to move forward with their careers. Like it was just a, a kind of a hidden figure situation, which is so great now that that movie and book has shown so much light on this issue that now we can, um, talk about that and have that understanding. Um, but so I would say that that's one way that we've really made a lot of progress for, for women in, in the space industry is that there are so many fewer barriers. There, are, there, there aren't any jobs anymore that you can't have uh, solely based on, on your gender. Um, there are a lot more publicly facing jobs as well, which I think is really important of women in, in the space industry now. I think that's so important because there's that old saying that you can't be what you can't see, which we know isn't necessarily true because there's always, you know, someone who breaks that. But I like to, I like to change it to say, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to be what you can't see. And right. that is definitely something that is so much better in the industry now is that there's just so much more representation for girls and young women to look at and to see themselves and to imagine and believe in their, their potential um, for, for careers in, in this field. 
Um, so that's the positive side. I would say that the negative side is that we haven't made as much progress as we need to make in order to kind of meet these goals of gender equity and such. And so there are still a lot of challenges. There's still issues that are um, that women and, and other minorities as well face when entering these fields. I wouldn't want to discount that in any way. Um, one of the things for me that, and this was more so in aviation, but has also been true in the space industry, is that um, one of the things that I found so incredible is that because there are so many fewer women and because those women often had to fight harder to get there, um, the women in aviation have been one of the most incredible support groups that I could imagine as an aviator as well. And it's the same with the space industry. Like once, once you start to meet other women in these fields, they're, they're so supportive and they're so um, excited about the next generation and about the changes that are being made and about what the future looks like. And it's, um, it's a dark topic to talk about the fact that, you know, there aren't enough women, but the women who are there are really rocking it. Oh yeah. One thing I like to say is that it's not the fact that there aren't women in aviation, they're there. Um, it's just a matter of finding them and sifting through like all the stories. Cause it's like one woman I talked to is like, Oh, you got to meet this girl. And I'm like, okay, I'm writing it down. <laughs> so it's like, I've like, they're there, but I feel like the stories, um, it, you know, we could be better, right. There could be more in space or aviation in general, but it's just a matter of getting the stories out there, which is what I'm trying to do. It's like, there's so many amazing women and stories that I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I, I want to like tell the world <laughs> about everyone. Yeah. Which I love so much what you're doing though, because that's so important. Like, I there are so many incredible, like you were saying, like just so many incredible women with incredible stories of, of tenacity and, and bravery and, and just grit and gumption and all of it. And it's so great that you're getting more of those stories out into the world. Oh yeah. I just need I love it. On my, my, my laptop. I'm like running out of <laughs> delete, delete. Um, so speaking about like STEM and, um, involving, I mean, not only girls, cause I don't want to just limit it to girls, but how do we get more children, um, young adults involved in STEM? How can we, you know, you, you have your, your channel, you, you bring it in a fun, creative way, but what can we as parents, as individuals, as people in the industry do to promote STEM? Yeah. So it's really, it's the big question. Um, it's like, how do we excite and inspire the next generation in these fields, uh, which is a super important thing to be doing. You know, the, my generation and the next one growing up as well, we're going to be facing some really huge issues. And the, the answer to how we're going to handle those issues is definitely through STEM, in my opinion, like we have the ability to figure things out. Um, but if we want to be able to do that, we have to be raising, essentially raising a workforce of, of STEM, um, STEM people right now who in 15 or 20 years will be the mathematicians and the scientists and the, um, the, the journalists as well and the communicators and all of these important roles. And so it's a huge question. I, I won't try and pretend that I have all the answers. But some thoughts, because I don't think there is like one answer to a question that big, but some thoughts that I've um, found to be, or ideas I've found to be really helpful are um, first, just meeting young people where they are. So instead of trying to trying to attract young people to 
you know, to read a book about STEM or to attend a class or something like that, oftentimes it can be more impactful to say, well, where is it that young people already spend their time? What is it that they're currently doing? Mm -hmm. And then work from there, work in those areas. And so that's a big part of why I started my social media channels and why I do so much sharing digitally and everything is because I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to meet young people where they're at currently and try and make some, some science content on the internet that is also, um, you know, both fun and engaging, but educational. And um, so that's definitely one thing. I would say another thing that parents and educators and anyone in a young person's life who really wants to help them um, either find an interest in, in STEM or hold on to an interest is to surround them with role models. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's people in real life who they might actually know. And other times that's people who they can look up to um as as role models and mentors and all of that who they might not uh they might not know might not ever even meet but still having that kind of exposure to people who are doing big things or exciting things or interesting things in stem can be really helpful uh, and then the final one that i would say which is like just such an important piece is to give kids and young people opportunities to experience stem in like a really hands-on visceral way and this is even more important for early teens, I think. I think that if we can catch kids in that like, you know, 10 to like 13 or 14 range, like that sweet spot, and give them an experience where they really get to interact with STEM in a hands-on way. Maybe they build something, maybe they develop something, maybe they carry out a research project or something like that. Um, I think that that helps us then to keep them keep kids interested and to give them a look into what it's like as well to be a scientist and to um to something to hold on to as uh as things get more complicated and more challenging as they grow up and everything yeah i think you bring some really interesting points um but the main thing that really strikes out is just that exposure and providing them that access to talk to an individual or just to get to know someone just as yourself even virtually and talk about like these topics that they may be interested in. You know, growing up, I was like, I'm not going to ask that question because it's so stupid. But like, you make it so fun and engaging. And I'm like, I, I was addicted. I'm like, click, click, click. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm so glad. No, that was such a fun thing. I was already producing on my YouTube channel some content before the pandemic, and then when the pandemic happened, I was just like, God, there's got to be like, there's got to be something that I can do to to help in within my niche and i realized that um it was a great opportunity to to do the ask abby series which was having teachers and students sending questions and then producing videos for them and then a couple weeks later they could use those in their um their teaching from home like curriculum content and everything and uh so that was that was such a fun project and it's it's always fun to me when i hear that like real people are watching them now also <laughs> I'm like, and I have an Ask Abby question. I don't know if anyone's asked, but I'm sure they have, but I'm going to ask. Ooh, what is it? <laughs> um, aliens, yes or no? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Emphatic yes. <laughs> um, no, it's, a, it's it's such a fun question. And it, uh, someone's asked, but I'm like, I got to know. <laughs> you know, and it really, I mean, I'm all about this question. My field of study, um, my original field of study was astrobiology. So the search for life. And I am firmly of the belief that somewhere else out there in our universe, life exists. Yeah. Now, it might be that we never find it because it's, you know, geographically that it's too far apart, or it might be that life existed 
on, you know, that we're too far apart on the time scale or something like that life existed somewhere else billions of years ago, or it will exist and we're just not matching up. Or it might be that the life that we, um, that exists elsewhere in the solar system or the universe is not like the life that we're used to and we might not even recognize it. It might be that it interacts with, uh, with the universe in a different way or something like that. So it's not like, I always, I always just like to put those caveats out there because it's not like I'm here saying like, oh yeah, like UFOs and like, you know, little green men with eight arms and three eyeballs and all of that. Um, but I do believe that extraterrestrial life exists somewhere out there and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to, to find it someday. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> that would be um, awesome. So there you go. <laughs> life. It's a good question. I like that one. I know it's um, like you said, it is a pretty common question, but I, it's like one of my favorites. It's such a fun one to get to talk about. <laughs> and I'm like obsessed with like men in black and just like, just in general, like comic books and just like thinking outside of the, you know, our universe. So yeah. Oh yeah. I totally believe too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask one last question. Um, your book, you wrote a book. Do you want to briefly talk about it and plug yet? <laughs> Dream big. Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing it up and asking. So it's crazily enough, it was actually published one year ago to this day. Uh, yeah, isn't that wild? January 19th of 2021. Um, so it's it's, it's, it's birth, book birthday today is what we call it. <laughs> Thank you. So um, Dream Big is, it's essentially a guidebook. It's an interactive guidebook. It's really geared at, um, especially towards young people, but really at anyone who's young at heart and is looking at, uh, at the, the world around them and, and thinking about their place in it and, and how they can really be a, a positive and engaged citizen and, and chase after their dreams. Um, and so it, it's filled, I'm biased, I think it's great, but <laughs> it's filled with a lot of really, um, really great like activities and ways for the reader to actually not just read about something, but read about it and then immediately practice and utilize the skills that are ta talked about in the book in order to create kind of like a, a virtual um, tool belt of, of different skills and tools to help, uh, to help the reader really chase after their big dreams and, um, and reach for their stars. <laughs> I love it. I started reading it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a matter of just finding your passion. How do you execute that passion? What are your talents? Like, it's a really good read. Um, it's a really, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's entertaining. You believe me, I was not bored. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> that was, it was so much fun to write. And I have to say that it is like, I, um, in the back of my mind, writing a book was always one of my like small dreams that lived in the back of my mind somewhere. But it was always one of those things where I was like, you know, once I come back from Mars and I'm, you know, I retire to some like seaside village or whatever and live a, a life of caring for my 20 cats or something like that's when I'll write my novel. Like that's when I'll, I'll finally write a book. And then this opportunity came up a little bit earlier in life than I was expecting, but um, it's really fun to, to get to have written a book and have right. it out there in the world. <laughs> Definitely an accomplishment. I'm an author myself. So kudos to you. Oh, wow. What's your yeah. book? Um, I have a children's book. Um, it's on aerobatics. It's called the blue demon adventures. <laughs> it's, 
And it talks about like just the art of aerobatics and like writing propeller and I'm incorporating STEM in there. So um, it's my little take. Awesome. Yeah. I think that sounds so much fun. And I have to say that that's like, that just sounds like, um, is it out yet or no? You yeah. have to let me know. Okay. Yeah. I'll send you like, yeah. <laughs> sounds good. I would love to take a look at it. And I'm always looking for good book recommendations as well um, to recommend to, to parents and teachers and stuff. So I'll have to put that one into my, my arsenal <laughs> to share. Yeah, of course. Well, Abby, thank you for being on the Wonder the Women of Aviation. For those that don't know or haven't found you on social media, how can they find you? Uh, so I'm all over social media, pretty much every platform that you can imagine. You can find me as Astronaut Abby, which was my childhood nickname and is now my digital handle. Um, and then you can also find the Mars Generation nonprofit. Again, just as the Mars Generation on all of the different social platforms. You can also find us at our websites. I'm astronautabby.com and the Mars Generation is themarsgeneration.org. Uh, so yeah, for anyone who's listening, feel free to come check us out and hopefully join our community and we'd love to have you. Awesome. And you can ask Abby anything. <laughs> it's true. I answer questions all the time. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And for those of you listening, I will put all the links in my social, well, in my social and Spotify, everything. Um, And thank you for joining us on the Wonder Woman of Aviation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.